Hi, this is Marianne Miller, co-founder of the Greek Speak podcast and Greek Happy, a website where you can find all things Greek, some of which you won't find anywhere else on the web. Welcome to our podcast. Sit back, relax, and let's have a chat. This is Marianne Miller with the Greek Speak podcast, and today I have the distinct pleasure of interviewing one of my family members, my my dear, darling cousin, Lauren Spangler. So Lauren, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us what sorority you were in? Sure. Thank you, Marianne. It's great to be here uh, with you. Uh, Spring Pledge Class 97, uh, Gamma Phi Beta, the Zeta Epsilon chapter, which is Duquesne University in Pittsburgh. Um, And the chapter was a local sorority and um, became Gamma Phi Beta in 1995. So I was one of the first pledge classes. Oh, so you were like one of the founders. In a well, way. no, a couple <laughs> years later, but it was, it wasn't too far, uh, too far gone. There were the women who were seniors when I pledged as a freshman had pledged the local sorority. Very good. So Lauren, I know your mom was a Kayo and I'm just wondering, you know, it seems like um, a lot of women who get drawn into sorority life, it's because somebody in their family was a member of the Greek system. And I'm wondering if that had any influence on you or what actually was it that drew you to want to go through Rush? That's exactly it. It was um, definitely the fact that my mom had been in a sorority at Pitt. She was a Kayo at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, and I never really learned much about um, her time there just because she passed away when I was very young. Right. But I knew it had had an impact on her. Um, and a really funny story is um, about my little sister and my sorority. Um she, her mom had actually been in the local sorority back in the 1960s. Oh, wow. <laughs> and um, there was a time in the 1980s that uh, Duquesne University was at a crossroads. And so they sold credits to alumni for, for their children to attend college what? very cost affordably. Wow. Uh, so that is how she ended up there. She grew up in South Carolina. Um, and she ended up uh, going to school in Pittsburgh randomly uh, wow. just because of that. Yes. Well, that's a good incentive to, to go to. <laughs> wow. That's very interesting. Very creative, actually, you know, when you think about it. Good for them. So do you remember anything about going through Rush? I mean, I have very distant memories of it because it's been a long time. But what was it like for you going through the Rush process? Was it formal or was it more informal? What was that like? Sure. So I went through Spring Rush as a freshman. Um, we were the school will not allow um, Fall Rush until you are a sophomore. So Spring Rush is formal. Um, so you had, I guess, I think the way, if I remember correctly, we had to attend every first round sorority party, and I think there were only seven or eight of them at the time. And then winnow it down. But I think the the part that I remember the most, um, and I actually have looked into this since, um, is the preference round. We called it prefs. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know what other um, chapters or universities call it. But um, that was really when I knew where, where I sort of belonged and who I felt like, you know, would be my close friends. Um, And... I, I was crying during Aww. as a as a rushy during that ceremony um, and many we over the years that I was a member we had sort of folks from 
international come during rush and say that the preference ceremony that we created was one of the best they had seen. Um, So it was, it was neat. We, there's a poem that we sort of put together and um, my line, uh, the, the line that got me when I was um, going through rush and that I always insisted that I read um, during this sort of poem was if you are very smart or very, very lucky you know what is precious and permanent is always the same and will always be there. Oh my gosh, Lauren. That would make me cry too. (laughs) (laughs) And I still remember the person that read it when I was going through Rush. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And we called it preference too, just FYI. Um, That's beautiful, really. I mean, it's so deep. It is. It was, and you just sort of went around in a circle and read you know you had your little index card which you were supposed to memorize but um Mm -hmm. the woman that read it at mine is remains one of my best friends to this day so (laughs) well so you said you really felt like those were your people and I'm wondering how you know rush is such a sort of unusual process to go through and you know yeah you have to go to each house in the beginning and it is sort of like speed dating in a way um when did you know that the Gamma Phi Beta house was the one that you wanted to pledge? I think I, sure. I think I knew it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just because, but um, it's actually a funny story too. And that when I went to Duquesne for my visit, um, a woman that I went to college with who, who went to a different college, her sister, her real life sister, um, blood sister, um, attended Duquesne and we actually stayed with her on campus for sort of our little visit there. Um, and she was pledging at the time. So she was actually in that first, um, pledge class in 95. Um, and so I actually stayed in her room with her roommate who was also pledging and her roommate became my big sister. (laughs) Oh my gosh. How fun. How fun. So you really got a sneak peek ahead of time of what I I did. Yeah. So I, I knew, but, um, you know, it was very helpful to go through the process and understand that it was the right place. Yeah. Good confirmation. So did you guys have a house where people lived in or was it more off campus or how, what was the living situation like? Sure. So uh, I believe, and there is, there are strange things you can look up online. Mm -hmm. um, But I believe that in Pennsylvania, there are no sorority houses that may have changed. I I don't live in Pennsylvania anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Penn State may have changed that <clears throat> regulation. And I know there's a Gamma Phi Beta chapter there. Um, but Duquesne is an urban campus um, and there are no fraternity or sorority houses um, affiliated with the school. So w- we actually have um, our dorms are built up, not out. <laughs> so mm-hmm. sororities had what we call a wing in the dorm. So oh. you you live um in a sort of dedicated space. Um, I believe there are 24 rooms on the wing and uh, our uh, RA resident assistant was one of our sisters. <laughs> so, oh. and that was the case for, for many, um, but everybody sort of had that dedicated space. It's just within the confines of, uh, um, I believe the that 17 story building. <laughs> wow. That's very interesting. So where did you guys have your meetings and stuff? Was it still within that wing area? No, we had them in all sororities on campus, had them basically in a classroom. Oh, okay. 
So even our ritual um, and initiation, we would have in a large classroom, which is kind of strange. Well, you made it work, you know, whatever (laughs) it's, you used your resources that you had available to you. And that's so interesting about the dorms that they had dedicated wings for each sorority. (laughs) So um, did you guys have dances or um, joints with fraternities or how did that work out? Sure. We always had two formal events a semester. So one we called mid-pledge, which would be halfway through um, the pledging process. I'm sure they now call it um, new member, <laughs> mid-new member something, or um, but we were still called pledges, not new members at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we would have um, a holiday formal in, um, you know, before we broke for the holidays. And then um, in the spring, it would be the the f- really formal event would be senior dinner, um, where you honored the, obviously the graduating seniors, but along the way, we would have um, events with fraternities, we called them mixers. I don't know. Mm-hmm. If, I don't know if that's still the lingo. Um But uh, just with different fraternities on campus. Um, we also were um, had two large events. Um, the fall um, uh, was called Carnival. So you would put on a production of a play that was written by either someone in the fraternity or the sorority um, wow. and performed. Um, so you spent a lot of time working together on that. And then in the spring was Greek Sing, which was basically just a performance. So there were always sort of things around that but I think the one um sort of event that stands out in my mind the most and I don't really know why um (laughs) is uh my when I uh, was a freshman we had an event called grab a date um where basically you were told you have 15 minutes to find a date um to take to (laughs) sort of a party Um, and so we did that and I took one of my, uh, you know, best guy friends from college. Um, and that was a really fun time, but that's one of the things I remember (laughs) the most was kind of scampering (laughs) around for that. How fun. How fun. Are you still in contact with your grab a date date? I am. In fact, he lives, um, not far from where you live. And, uh, a couple years ago when I was out there, I had dinner with him. (laughs) Oh, how fun. Oh, Uh, so do you feel like you, I mean, what do you feel like you gained from, it sounds like you've gained a lot from being in a sorority, but what do you, what are some of the main things you feel like, um, the sorority experience has added to your life? I think there's many things. I think one of them is to appreciate people that are different than I am. Um, for instance, a a lot of the women that I became closest to were, um, they were healthcare, health science um, majors and very focused on studying as, as was I. And so I gravitated toward them. Whereas the women in my pledge class uh, like to have a little more fun. Um, (laughs) And we, you know, we may have had our differences along the way, but um, by the time we became, you know, we were seniors, we were all very, very close. um, And I appreciated the sort of fun that they brought. Um, to mm-hmm. situations and they appreciated the seriousness that I brought. I also think that there were, you know, I, I sort of grew up um, always being challenged to be a leader and not being, be afraid to step up, but mm-hmm. it was a little bit different um, in a group of women, again, who come from different backgrounds. Uh, and so 
I was able to sort of take on challenges. I served as uh, the financial vice president, um, which basically meant having to bother people to pay their dues on time, <laughs> which wasn't always fun. Right. Um, it also meant that you had to balance the checkbook to the penny, um, which is probably a reason why I don't balance my own to the penny <laughs> today. Um, and then I was the administrative vice president as well, which is basically the second in command to the president. Um, and during um, that formal rush, my senior year, she was actually ill. So I essentially had to take on the role of sort of being, you know, overseeing everything. And so mm-hmm. the leadership qualities that I gained serving on um, the executive board for two years, which at the time was sort of unheard of. I, I served during my sophomore and junior year years, I guess it was sophomore into junior and then junior into senior. Um, and I just think being able to understand how to get along with people, how to make mm-hmm. decisions. I mean, those things really benefit you professionally um, mm-hmm. as you, as you move through your life um, oh, and hearing, sure. hearing different points of views and being able to find compromise. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think that is, you know what, I think that's really a key point about the sorority experience is being able to collaborate with other people. You know, it really does throw people together who may, you know, not necessarily ever be in the same room together and have to work through, you know, some tasks, but also some fun things, um, planning events and using leadership skills and, you know, getting, getting a snapshot into what other people are doing, what, you know, other people, what career path they might be on or what they're studying and how that might influence you and how you view certain careers, you know, going forward and um, good for you for holding so many leadership positions. You know, that's, I think that's great. So kind of shifting gears a little bit was is there anything that you would change about your sorority experience kind of looking back on it I think the one thing I would change and there really isn't anything just broadly but I I think just looking back on it from an adult perspective is I would have been a little bit more willing to um accept different opinions than I was at the time um or or just be more open to them um Mm -hmm. and I face that challenge in in everyday adulthood life too but um just sort of uh, be maybe uh hanging out with the fun bunch a little bit more (laughs) not being so serious Uh, well just things like that (laughs) yeah yeah well that's good reflection I think that's good reflection and you know I think that um it's so easy to look back and go hmm I wonder what would have happened if I had done that or you know this and and um at the time you know, we're all doing the best that we can. And so, so kind of along that line, I'm wondering, you know, as you look back on your experience, what you, what advice you would give to uh, a young woman today who, you know, either maybe thinking about joining a sorority or not even just any general advice you would give to a young woman today? Sure. I'd say keep an open mind, which I think is important, not only at that stage of life, but throughout one's life. Um, Because the, the second sorority that I attended two preference ceremonies and the second one, um, I could not necessarily see myself there, but I was open 
to attending their preference ceremony. And, um, and, and so I think just approaching it openly and honestly, and, and just mm. really reflecting and being true to who you are. Yeah. Um, but I actually um, was on a work conversation, a Zoom earlier today with someone who asked me a question. And I said, I think the most important advice I, I received as I, I think I was 19 um, when I was in, uh, d- doing an internship, somebody told me, um, whatever reading material you can ever get your hands on, read it, even if it's something that doesn't interest you, um, you know, just read it because you may learn something from it. So yeah. I, I've, I've always thought that was really good advice. I actually didn't like the person who told me to do that, <laughs> um, but, but it might've been the most uh, useful advice <laughs> I've gotten in, in, in my professional career, frankly. Yeah. And it sounds like you took it to heart because I know you're a really avid reader and you do read <laughs> lots of different things. So, so uh, I happen to know what kind of work you do, but maybe you could give us a quick snapshot of the kind of uh, career arc that you've had and how you got into that in the first place. Cause it's so interesting. Sure. So I, uh, broadly, I'm a political consultant. More specifically, I am a public opinion researcher. So some people call that a pollster, um, but I also do focus groups and other sort of qualitative research that that isn't necessarily just numbers and survey based. I did not necessarily ever think that would be my career path. Um I actually started college as a pharmacy major, um, which mm. probably is why I uh, ended up in a sorority with a lot of healthcare professionals, <laughs> which is never a bad thing, um, right. especially during a pandemic, because there are people you can call and ask really good uh, questions and get very thorough, helpful answers right. uh, about one's health. Um, but my grandfather was a small town mayor. He had served on the city council. Um, so I grew up with him as the mayor of his town and it was a small town, but I always say that being the first child in line to meet Santa Claus every year when he (laughs) arrives in your town leaves a a kind of an indelible mark (laughs) on you. Um, so (laughs) that sort of influenced, I, I quickly changed my major to political science after one semester. And my family, our family broadly, just has um, a a very big focus on public service, whether it be military service or, you know, community volunteerism and so on and so forth. And so um, when I when I graduated from college, I thought that I would intern or I'm sorry, I thought I would work on Capitol Hill. I had a few internships there when I was in college um, and I just happened to walk into an interview, I was lucky enough to graduate in 2000 when the economy was booming. Um, And so I walked into an interview at a polling firm, um, which was one of Mm -hmm. the largest polling firms in the country at the time and and remains such. Um, I I no longer work there, but um, it took a job, just thought, okay, well, this will get me through six months and then I'll go and work on Capitol Hill, which is what I really want to do. And so now, 21 years later, uh, I'm I'm still in that field. And actually, June 5th will be my 21-year uh, anniversary wow. of, of working in this field. Yeah. So was it like an on-campus interview or was it? Like, was it set up through the university, the interview you happened to walk into? Or how did you even find out about the, the interview? Uh, it was, uh, uh, this is going to sound strange to people who uh, are a lot younger than I am, but it was a classified ad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, we remember those. 
um, in a, there are two publications on Capitol Hill and it was in, mm. I don't know, it was in one or both of them. Okay. Um, at the time you also used to have to call a phone number to see what, what positions were open on Capitol <laughs> Hill too. So none of yeah. it was online. Yeah. I remember those days. Yes, I do. I'm pretty sure I faxed my resume. (laughs) So when you had your internships, uh, who were you interning for, if you don't mind me asking, or if you can divulge us in that? I can. Um, My first internship was in the summer of 1998 um, on Capitol Hill in the U.S. Senate office of Frank Rautenberg uh, from New Jersey. He has since deceased. He actually retired shortly after that, I think he retired in 2000. And then, oh, there was some sort of New Jersey-ish scandal. So he actually came back. Um, He, uh, he founded um, ADP, the payroll company. Um, And then um, the next summer, I interned for um, Tom Daschle from South Dakota, who was Mm -hmm. actually the Democratic leader in the Senate at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. That was right after uh, Columbine. Um, and so the Columbine shooting. So, um, because I had the experience the year before I had to field a lot of phone calls because I knew the intricate telephone system. Um, so that was, there, there was a slate of gun control legislation that was pending. And so I got to hear from a lot of people in South Dakota who did not necessarily agree (laughs) with some opinions. Sure. And we're still talking about that. Exactly. So, so is there something that, um, I mean, because, you know, not everybody gets to work on Capitol Hill. You have such a, an insider's view of the workings of the federal government. Is there anything that um, just having worked there kind of stands out in your mind in terms of, you know, just your experience there or what you, what you kind of take away from it? Um, I think that I would, I, my sorority experience actually was very helpful um, mm. in kind of being a leader and especially that second summer that I interned because I, I kind of knew the ropes. And so I was sort of looked up to because I had had the experience and, w- and was willing to, I won't say be a mentor because we were on college, but um, to, you know, kind of help people learn, okay, here's how you do this. Here's, here's how you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually think, and I think I've thought about this often, this year, especially um, the people, you know, there's not just the 535 people that are elected to represent Americans that are there. There are, there's a lot of support staff. There's a lot of security staff. um, Mm -hmm. And those people are really the ones that sort of make, uh, make everything happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, So what do you think is the best way? I'm sure people ask you, like, how did, you know, how did you get started in what you're doing? What's the best way to prepare for a career in politics? That's such a generalization, but what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's thinking about doing that? The more of the people that you can talk to and meet, the more that you can, again, going back to (laughs) the more you can read um, anything Mm. you get your hands on is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, more than anything else, it's, um, it's being really annoying um, and <laughs> knocking on doors and sending emails and it's not knocking on doors anymore, but um, you know, there's been a young man who's uh, my email is available through um, my company website. And this young gentleman has emailed me every spring for the last three years. I think he's just graduating um, from Brown university and 
he's, you know, been bugging me since he was a sophomore. Um, and, you know, I, I unfortunately uh, have helped him out as best I can. I can't give him a job, but um, I've, I've directed him as best I can. And so mm-hmm. that sort of um, kind of commitment to, uh, you know, learning and reaching out to people is really important. Yeah, it kind of goes back to that. It reminds me a little bit of that book, What Color Is Your Parachute? I don't know if you remember that book, but I do. the big thing in the 80s where, you know, the advice was to talk to people who are doing the kind of work that you want to do, talk to them, interview them, ask them how they got that job, you know, how they got interested and who else you can talk to. And um, it sounds like you've done a good job mentoring people and and being willing to, um, you know, answer those questions for them. So. And all it takes, all it takes is one person and one yeah. break. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. You just have to keep being persistent. Keep, you know, it's like a putting a puzzle together. So, well, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're super busy. And I just, in closing, want to say, is there anything or ask you, is there anything else you'd like to say about sororities in general or women who think who are thinking about being in a sorority or just anything in general? Life, life life advice or whatever, whatever you want to say. Um, I think the most important thing I would say is don't, you're, there are going to be a lot of times when you doubt yourself, Mm. but, but try not to, and it's going to be hard not to, but you always know what's best for you. And I've, I've quit a job that it wasn't working for me. It, it took me a little while to get there. Um, but I knew I knew the person with whom I was working wasn't the right fit, and and that and resolved itself, and I ended up in a much much better place. So not doubting yourself and doing what's best for you is really the most important thing you can do. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. Well, Lauren Spangler, thank you so very much for taking the time, and um, look forward to seeing you in person one of these days. <laughs> yes. Thank <laughs> you. All right. Love you. Talk to you soon. I love you too. Bye. Bye. That's it for this episode of Greek Speak. Please tune in next time when we'll have another fascinating conversation. Until then, stay happy and visit our website, greekhappy.com, where a portion of every purchase will go towards funding happiness research at the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley. Thank you so much. I'm not going to do that.